Welcome back to Brailcast, connecting the dots for Brailists everywhere. And coming up this time, we're going to be talking about Braille in the technology industry, particularly Braille for computer science. This is a recording of a session which took place back in November. It's introduced by Dave Williams and it's hosted by Ben Mustill-Rose. Good evening and a very warm welcome to the Brailis Foundation Masterclass. Tonight's session is concerned with software development and how Braille might be used in computer science for reviewing data and for reviewing code. As a small boy, I had two ambitions. One was to be a computer programmer and the other was to be on the radio. I managed the second of those, but probably not the first. And maybe had I had access to a refreshable Braille display, I might not have pestered so many people to read me those long computer game programs out the back of those computer manuals. So without much of a further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Ben Mustelrose now who himself is a software engineer. I first encountered Ben when he came to a software company where I was working about 10, 15 years ago. And Ben uh, became embroiled in software testing. And a little bit later, after Ben left university, I pestered him again and brought him down to Worcester to return to the same software company where he did a little bit more work experience. And since then, Ben has been gainfully employed. And as we know, uh, software development and programming for blind and partially sighted people is very much a viable career option. And the reason More Braille is the mission of the Braillers Foundation is to enhance the life chances and opportunities and potential of blind and partially sighted people. Ben Mustelrose. You know, I always get really worried when Dave introduces me um, because he knows way too much about my my early years. But thank you. Thank you ever so much for that intro, Dave. It's a, a real pleasure to be here and obviously a very warm welcome to our audience as well. So as Dave says, an event all about learning uh, to use Braille in the IT industry. Maybe you're a software engineer, maybe you're a networking engineer, maybe you're doing systems administration, things like that. So uh, as people have twigged, it's probably going to be a bit of a technical session. Um, we're, we're sort of largely targeting it towards people who know a little bit of programming or are willing to uh, willing to pick it up. Maybe that's something you're interested in looking into at the moment. And when it comes to Braille though, we're, we're sort of targeting it at people who maybe know a bit of Braille but want to integrate it into their workflows but haven't quite figured out the best way to do it for them quite at the moment. Although if you are a bit more advanced than that, really, really looking forward to hearing from you in the latter half of this session. Now, as Dave says, I am a uh, software engineer. I uh, make apps for TVs at the moment. I was spending this morning trying to get the tennis working on the telly, which was fun. Uh, but luckily, also, as Dave mentioned, you're not going to hear me rabbiting on for too much longer because we have a panel of esteemed technologists who will help us navigate this uh, really quite interesting domain, I think. So let's crack on with it then. Uh, we'll go around in alphabetical order uh, for this first one. So 
Um, let's do some intros. Uh, could I ask all of the panelists to tell us who you are, uh, a bit about what you do, and then could you all describe your setups, please? So I'm thinking, you know, what, what screen reader do you use? What Braille display do you use? Um, is there any other interesting tooling that you uh, find yourself using day to day in your uh, in your tech stack, if you will? So uh, yeah, let's uh, let's start with Aaron. Hi guys, I'm Aaron. I'm a digital technician. It's my official job title, and most of the time when I'm at work, I'm using Jaws with a QBraille XL uh, Braille display, but other times I do use other things as well. Cool. A digital technician. It's one of those jobs that just automatically makes you sound incredibly clever, I find. Um, so really looking forward to uh, getting into that. And as, as I say, uh, we'll, we'll be sort of looking at sort of screen reader and Braille specifics a little bit later. Um, Jen, over to you. Hi, everyone. I'm Jen. Um, I'm actually, well, my job title now, I believe, is a senior technical support engineer so goodness knows how i blanked that one but anyway um so i work for a uh software company called perforce and i do um basically everything in the support line from frontline to backline um and everything in between um that does involve me doing some coding um whether that's writing sort of so that I can write, you know, make automate reproductions or writing internal tools. And I have done some, um, I've done a little bit of product development on the side. Um, in terms of stacks at the moment, I use um, a Mac OS right now, which I'm sure we'll get into the specifics of that later. So I'm obviously fairly bound to voiceover in a lot of respects there. Um, However, I do use a lot of virtual machines and I will quite often end up inside those environments using those screen readers. Um, so that's usually NVDA um, on Windows. Um, and yeah, I'm using an Alpha BC6. Uh, I've got a BC640 and a BC680. The 40 is good for traveling if I have to go to customer sites and stuff. And um, I also have a couple of Canutes, which I use. Um, but I'm sure we'll get into the details of all of that later. Yeah, so uh, thanks for that, Jen. Already quite a, a wide selection of, of tools on, on the sort of metaphorical table, uh, if you will. So really looking forward to learning about all of that. And uh, last, but of course, by no means least, we have Nick. Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Nick. I'm a senior software engineer. Uh, that just means I've just been doing it for a long time. I'm, I've been uh, at the company uh, I'm at, uh, I'm currently at, I've been there for 17 years. Uh, I write software for military systems. Uh, so uh, vehicles, um, I've worked on radio systems and helicopters. Um, I've written all sorts of weird and wonderful software. Um, so it's uh, quite, a, quite a fun place to be, quite an interesting place to be. Um, my setup is JAWS and Windows at the minute. Um, I was quite a, a, a promoter of Supernova, um, and unfortunately, I'm not anymore. Uh, I've used NVDA, but most of my experience is Windows. Um, but I've also worked on embedded systems, so that's uh, that's sort of um, 
more when you're you're closer to the hardware when you're when you're programming and you're you're working really quite low to the hardware so i've got quite a bit of a experience all over the place on that so that's me oh uh, that's right i forgot i'm using a, a human web brilliance b uh, uh b80 as my brow display Great stuff. Thanks for that, everyone. And um, at this point, I'd like to introduce uh, Ed Rogers of Bristol Braille Technology, who is very kindly sponsoring this session and a few other uh, future sessions. Ed, uh, how are you doing? I'm right, thank you. Thanks, Ben. I might as well do my own intro as well. I get to talk about my particular uh, setup. Everyone always wants to do that when you when you do a bit of coding. Um, so I'm the um, uh, manager of Bristol Braille Technology and we've developed the commute and uh, I tend to, I don't do that much um, serious coding these days but I do develop support for uh, for Braille applications and to do that I tend to work with Debian, Braille TTY and the commute. Uh, the reason we're uh, we're working with the Braillists to put together some master classes around computer science is actually part of something funded by a, a charity called UFI and those of you who are on the, the, the uh, uh, Bristol Bros newsletter would have seen that we're doing an event with UFI. This is all about us um, trying to work out how to increase uh, the usefulness of Braille for computer science uh, careers and paths, for an educational paths. And the other thing that we're doing, which we'll come back to later, so we're doing masterclasses, and we're also doing some testing of new hardware specifically something called the commute console and that's very much about trying to make braille uh more useful in even more fields of computer science in particular the sorts of spatial outputs but we'll come back to that Cool. And for anyone who doesn't know, Canute is obviously a, uh, well, I say obviously, Canute is a uh, really quite impressive uh, multi-line Braille display. Many interesting technologies when you get into the uh, sort of multi-line domain. Um, so let's let's jump straight into some questions. I've got loads of questions for you all, and I'm sure our audience will do as well. So, um, Jen, I'm afraid I'm going to pick on you to, uh, to start this one off, if you don't mind. Um, I wanted to examine um, perceptions, right? Because I think sometimes, if um, if you talk to if you talk to some technical people, and obviously this is all very subjective, there might be there might be a view that actually, you know what, you you either have to use speech to, to code, or you have to use braille. You, you know, it can't be can't be uh, can't be both. It has to be one or the other. And uh, sometimes, you know, people might even say that actually you know what braille sort of doesn't really make sense to use as, as a as an input slash output method when you're working in in the kind of field that you're in so I, I wanted to ask you um when you were getting started what was your view around sort of using braille as as part of your stack as i say if you will what was it like when you were getting started and um would you say that your perception has changed now well when i was getting started in terms of um, going into employment and looking at employment. I was still actually at university because I did a, uh, I don't know if they still, but they used to call it a sandwich course. So you do, uh, basically you have a two years of degree, go work somewhere and then uh, go finish your, the degree effectively. Um, and I already at that point even knew that Braille was going to be very important to me because of how important it was to me at university, programming in that environment. And I knew um, 
you know, from unfortunately from experience, how horrendous it was for me personally not to have access to that um, for, you know, to that format for practical program purposes, but also for, you know, study purposes too. Um, in terms of, um, I was, I've been, I was and have been very lucky with my employers because I've, although I've done a few other bits and pieces, I've mainly, you know, been at the same company. Um, and to be honest, when I turned up for my interview of my Braille display, I actually took it with me because I thought, well, uh, if nothing else, maybe I can bamboozle them with this weird looking thing with holes and pins in it, which uh, did work, turned out, it seemed to go quite well. They were very excited about it. And they've always been very curious and interested, um, you know, to know how I work with tools that are maybe not familiar to them, such as Braille and even, you know, even a screen reader when you get into more detail about it. So they've been very supportive in terms of uh, allowing me to have equipment and, and even like pushing me and encouraging me to, to ask for equipment, uh, which I think is very encouraging. Um, and my perception hasn't really changed. If anything, it's just even more crystallized the fact that Braille is useful to me, um, which again, you know, we might get into specifics later. So I'll save those for now. Um, Hopefully that answers it for you. Yeah, definitely. So it's, uh, it's always interesting when when you um, when you're in a situation where you're talking to an engineer and you know something that they don't, and it's that sort of uh, just insatiable appetite to learn and uh, many many questions about that sort of stuff, isn't there? Uh, Nick, how how about you? Has has your perception of of Braille changed as you've progressed throughout your career? Uh, yeah, definitely. So um, my my uh, journey with Braille. Uh, I guess started when I was in school and, and we had a, a teacher that would come into school and and try and teach uh, try and teach the blind kids braille um, and I didn't enjoy it I I found that speech was uh, so much quicker to do everything and braille was just hard work and when I left school and I went off to college I thought my braille days were over and I was happy about it um, uh, like Jen, when I went to uni, I, I did a sandwich course, which basically, uh, as, as Jen said, you, you do a couple of years in uni, then you do tend to do a year in industry, you go and work uh, somewhere, and then you go and do a final year back at, at, at university. Um, I actually went to a company that many of you will have heard of uh, called Dolphin, who make the Supernova screen readers. And I worked uh, with a guy who um, has been on this podcast and this uh, on, on the Braillist, a guy called James Bowden, um, who about my second week said have you ever tried coding with a braille display i was like no not interested he went right give it a try and and because it's dolphin and they they test out lots of different braille displays he went to this cupboard where they had a, about 100 braille displays sitting there and he, we, we we got it set up and and i just slowly started using it and 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 to the point that within about six months i i'd then gone and found a secondhand braille display and i'd started using it uh, for my own projects and now you know let's say been doing it for more years than i want to think about and now actually coding without a braille display i find very hard um, and the reason i find it hard is is if you imagine code um is it, it's a series of characters so you know like, like english like written language but it's it's very much based on different characters so you have you know brackets and different symbols that mean various things and if you get those in the wrong place your code doesn't work your code will do something unexpected and it's actually a lot easier to understand the line of code if you see it in braille than is if you hear it in your ears um for me i use both i'm, I'm, I'm i i don't think i'll be able to code without speech 
uh, and just on Braille, but but in the same way that I, I having having the code under my fingertips makes so much difference. But obviously, as as a software engineer, it isn't just about coding. I I have to present designs. I have to go into meetings and take notes about what other people are saying. So so Braille comes into to to its its own there. You know, if I'm doing a presentation. Rather than having an earpiece in, I might have my brow display under my fingers and and my notes on there because it's 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 less isolating. So so it's it, coding definitely, but it has more more applicability to to everything that you do in, in as a professional in that sense. No, definitely some really really good points there. Thank you for that, Nick and uh, Aaron. What's what's it been like for you in your experience? So it's interesting because it's um, my experience is somewhat similar to to Nick's. I started with Braille in in my in my primary school actually, and I was I was learning it, and I learned grade two very early on. Um, and when I started programming, I didn't use Braille. I didn't see you know I didn't see it factoring into it at all. I just thought that would be so that would be so slow. Um, but then. Obviously, I was I was only hobbyist programming at that point, and so it didn't really matter how long things took. You know, I could I could go over the the code character by character with a screen reader and investigate all the little problems and and find them all. And it didn't matter if that took two or three hours to find one problem, because it there was no time constraints. And then I went into employment, and you know things were on deadlines, and people wanted things done. You know, they want they wanted them done yesterday. Um, <laughs> So you eventually, I eventually thought, you know, what, I'm going to try, I'm going to try it with Braille and see if it can speed me up um, just so that I can read the lines faster. I didn't plan on, I didn't plan on going as far as I had with it, um, you know, but now I primarily will, will code without speech. I'll take my headphones out. Um, I'll turn my, you know, I'll turn my, my screen off. I'll take my headphones out. I'll turn the speech off and I'll just use Braille. Um, because I find that when I'm in, you know, when I'm in a, an office environment and I'm talking to people, it's a lot easier to have those conversations and also do the work um, when when I'm when I'm just using Braille. Because a lot of the the approach that a lot of places use now and a lot of projects use is agile programming, where one person will write the code and the other person will check it and then they'll switch, and that's so much easier to do. When I can actually talk to the person who I'm who I'm working with, and I can read what they're writing as they're writing it, um, rather than than have to hear it with speech and then ask them to pause so we can have a conversation. Um, and also, Braille factors into to my to my meetings and when I have to uh, discuss and write down product requirements because it's so much easier to do in Braille as well. Again, it's, it comes down to I don't want to hear my screen reader while I'm I'm. In conversation that's very you know that's a very distracting thing so i will you know often just use braille for that too now that's that's it's so so important to mention isn't it that was one of the sort of uh, uh let's say wake-up calls for me i i noticed where i sort of consider myself to be sort of quite a you know, quite a good hobbyist developer but then you you go into the the corporate world and you realize right okay this is this is all this is all different now you know and, and i think i think just just quickly aaron i don't know if you've found this but there's there's sort of there's not always a huge amount of flexibility to to change everything right you know it's it's kind of like 
you know, when when you're when you're just like hacking about something um, on on your own, you can use whatever tooling you want. And sometimes an organization might let you use whatever tooling you want, but then other times it's uh, it's not quite as simple as as that, right? Yeah, I found that too. Um, I had to get used to using a lot of different development stacks and a lot of different environments because um, some of the stuff that we do is very heavily he heavily secured and, and we're not allowed to uh, to interact with it anywhere outside of this allocated system. So the problem that we have there is I don't know how accessible that system is going to be when I jump in. And so I just kind of have to, you just have to work with it. And, but when you're developing for yourself, you can switch languages, you can switch, um, you know, you, you can entirely scrap the project and restart if you need to. But if you're working with other developers, you kind of don't have that flexibility. Um, so one of my first uh, experiences of this in this in this environment was they said, okay, we want you to develop some software for this piece of machinery, um, but we want you to develop it on device because you can't interact with this anywhere outside of, of this machine. Oh, uh, yes. Go on, then. <laughs> it had no speech or braille support. It had no <laughs> peripheral, like, the only thing we could connect was a keyboard. And it was like being in the 1980s again, you know, you'd, you'd power it on and it would come up with the symbol and you'd start programming <laughs> and you had to, you know, try and try and do that try and do it that way. Um, so my first thing was to actually get functional Braille and get functional speech, um, which was not even inside the scope of the project. And I had to go to the project manager and say, look, I need I need time to actually make this work. I need time to actually work on this. And arguing for those things is definitely a skill in itself. Um, I'm sure we could go on about that for, forever and ever. Um, but so moving on, um, let's start with Nick this time. Uh, but I'm going to ask everyone this. And uh, obviously, if anyone has any of the panel have any comments on anything else that the panelists have made, feel free to jump in once once they've finished speaking. So um, Nick, can can you give me and feel free to get feel free to get technical here can you give me one example of where braille works really well for you maybe a, a task that that you that you do um where you think yeah actually you know what this this for this particular use case braille really really helps for me and then uh, if you have one um for the sake of for the sake of of sort of keeping everything unbiased do you have an example of where you would default to speech because maybe braille isn't the right answer for you um okay so the the one where braille oh, there's, there's a few that where braille is 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 um is is really key um when you're writing code um there are particular ways that you have to lay it out um the, the word is indentation and so um uh, how to say this without getting too techy so if you imagine you've got a bit of code that says if my code if 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 this is going to happen then you go off and you do this and then you come back and you and if it doesn't happen then you're going to do something else that that if block or the else block it might be indented moved along the line a bit um so you know if you were writing it in in, in word you'd use the tab character or whatever to 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 make your code pretty and it's 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 for it's for sighted programmers who can then just you know scroll up and down the screen and they can see what they're doing and trying to do that in speech and i know there are ways of doing it you know you can do audio cues and all sorts of stuff but trying to do it in speech is is just 
it doesn't ah, it's just horrible i i can't i can't do it in speech braille it's just all it's, you don't even need to think about it because it's you're almost using the indentation in the same way that a sighted person is using it um i remember that uh not long after i started at the company um i was i was in where i was maybe a little less uh careful about um what other people thought of my code and i'd I'd, so I'd, I'd, I'd bash this program together and someone uh, someone else took took over um started looking at it and added some bits to it and uh, a guy said to him was looking over his shoulder and went who wrote that code that's so ugly and he went oh well that's nick he's the blind guy and i was like yeah okay might need to might need to just make sure that i don't do that so so making sure your code is um pretty uh, prettifying it you're making sure it's laid out correctly that it works for a sighted person uh, and and someone using a braille display that that's that ha you know there's using it in braille there is so much easier um the other thing that's much easier is is say um say you're watching a program run and it's, it's, it's say a command line program not not a not one that's got a, a buttons and a dialogue and all that sort of stuff trying to watch the flash through the screen in speech is 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 quite slow where if you've got tables of data scrolling past and having your hands on the braille display and and watching watching stuff flick by and, and all that sort of stuff it's it's just much easier to do in braille than it is trying to do it with speech on the other side of it um where i would use speech over braille um that's that's a bit more tricky because actually just braille is so integral for what I do because most of the time I don't realize that I've maybe got one hand on my keyboard and one hand on my braille display and my headphones on and I'm listening to stuff because you get you get into the zone and you just you're not thinking about how you're doing stuff something you're just doing it probably things like writing emails and stuff you know or 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 on chat windows and stuff I don't tend to use um you know modern modern office environments <laughs> i'm still working from home having the last two and a half years and you you tend to have little chat windows between the, the you and the rest of the team so i tend not to use braille for that um apart from when i'm checking people's the, the spelling of people's names and all that sort of stuff but yeah no it's it's when you just when you when you're having to be less deliberate and that speed is more interesting then that, that tends to be hands off the display and, and touch typing and, and just using speech at that point Thank you for that, Nick. A great point you raised there about um, about the indentation example, where actually, you know what, for, for a lot of languages, yes, technically you might not need to do that, but if you're writing, if, if the quality of your output is is worse than everyone else's in the teams, even if that's subjective, actually, you have no idea whether that's going to affect you getting a promotion, whether that's going to affect you getting a piece of work, whether that's going to affect people wanting to pair with you or not. So, so really, really good stuff there. I'm only, uh, I'm only going to move on uh, because I know that Jen is uh, unfortunately going to have to leave us soon. So, um, Jen, how about you? How, how have you, how have you found, um, you know, what, what works well and what, what perhaps doesn't work well when it comes to braille sure okay uh well i think all forms of coding um lend themselves really nicely to braille um i don't know much about the science in terms of you know what goes where in, for, in an auditory processing versus taking the information in um you know when you're reading with your hands versus reading with your eyes but I, for me it's definitely there's a real difference between hearing something in detail and like physically 
feeling, you know, seeing it with your hands. Um, I mean, you can, you can, of course, do all the, you can do these things with speech. And I'm sure there are people that do very successfully. In fact, I know somebody that does the vast majority of their coding like that. But I'm very much a, like, you need all the, if you can make use of all the tools, then make, you know, have all the tools and use all the tools. Um, so, yeah, if I, especially, uh, you know, to echo what Nick said about indentation, with Braille as your friend, like having dodgy indentation in your code doesn't even have to be a thing that you have to have the ableism conversation about necessarily because you have, you can physically, you can feel it there. You can, you know, you can, you can see it just as, you know, well as your sighted counterpart in, in a sense because you can physically feel where the indent is. Um, I actually find uh, in terms of, other situations where I use Braille over speech, I actually find uh, as part of my job, um, as well as writing tools and stuff, I do a lot of looking at customer data, lots of customer data, log files or integration history. Um, that's basically what they, the tool I support is a versioning tool. So they move a lot of files around and this is like millions and millions of files. You know, we're talking about like AAA games companies here. So obviously, you know, you you pull thing you make the data you've got to work with as small as possible at least I do anyway so I use a lot I do a lot of like scripting with grep and said and things like that to to help but there comes a point when I just physically need to get my hands on that data and look at it and if I'm trying to spot a tiny anomaly in lines and lines and lines of file names for example that might all be super duper similar I can find that pattern a lot faster if I use Braille than if I just have to use speech and step through it character by character. Um, in terms of where I would use speech over Braille, um, and you have to bear in mind as well with the answering this question, the answer may well be, um, you know, dependent on the technology stack that we happen to have access to, which may be about control. So in my case, I'm slightly hamstrung I feel by Mac OS and voiceovers presentation of Braille so when I'm doing stuff in our what we call our um what do we call it actually our system our sort of help desk ticket management system we use um I find it a lot easier to I do use Braille in there too but I use speech a hell of a lot more than I do in other places just because I find it's faster and a lot of the time when I'm doing stuff in there it's not about methodical um checking of stuff it's about speedily bashing data in there so i can get on with my actual job and not entering data it, that kind of data <laughs> so that's it really that's that's really really interesting thanks for that jen um aaron um what what works what works well for you and uh maybe um you know what doesn't if if there is anything that doesn't okay so i'll try and be i'll try and be brief um what works well for me, I think Braille is is particularly useful when, uh, when I'm when I'm writing code that I haven't seen before. So when I'm working on something that someone else has worked on, as I mentioned, the the agile programming that we use, that lends itself a lot better to Braille than to have a character echo turned on on a screen reader that's then also going into someone else's ears as well, which would be really awful um, <laughs> for them, I expect. Um, you know, it's a lot easier for me to read that as it's coming across the Braille display. 
Um, and it's also, you know, like I say, if I'm looking at code I haven't seen before, it's a lot easier for me to pick up on the, um, the I forget what the word is. Um, <laughs> sorry, the 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 ideals that and the the coding standard that 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 programmer has used, whether they capitalize the first word of variable names, whether they, um, whether they make all their variables uh you know camel case where the first word isn't capitalized and the second word is or what their what their function writing style is um how they how they you know how they request arguments from a function do they do they request them in alphabetical order of the way that they're they're going to be you know for the for the parameter names what do they do what how do they how do they write these things? I think for Braille, for for me, Braille is really useful there um, because it's just easy for me to pick up on patterns in Braille. As for when speech is easier, um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna have to go back to that the the project I spoke about before, where I said that we had to write the code on device. Actually, getting speech output in that situation was far easier than getting Braille output because. I could use a, a hardware synthesizer and just take data from the screen or from the from the screen output rather than than figure out how to get access to a braille driver. Interesting how uh, how the the old time hardware synth comes in and and saves the day there. And also a really interesting point as well about uh, the the sort of the the ability to navigate a code base particularly when it's, you know, again, you know when it when it's a commercial one the the may be sort of so large that actually knowing it all isn't isn't feasible in the same way that it would be uh, if it was a side project so thank you thank you once again for that um jen i'm going to come to you uh next uh we're sort of aiming this towards as i say people who um have maybe done a little bit of programming work already or or, or something like it um and maybe know a little bit of Braille already, but haven't managed to put the two together. So, so what what tips would would you have? And I know I'm massively putting you on the spot here. Do do you have any tips for people who are thinking actually, yeah, you know what, I quite like the sound of this. Want to want to try and integrate Braille into some part of my workflow at work? How how would you how would you say people should get started with that? Okay, um, well, obviously. This is going to be one of those your mileage will vary uh, scenarios. But I know for me, I actually found I had a bit of a bad experience at school with reading aloud um, and the pressure that gets put on you to do that. And sometimes the way that teachers, um, I should point out just for context, I did go to a mainstream school. So having had a bit of a bad experience with reading and re um even though I loved reading and I, I would have considered myself a reasonably proficient reader, that the idea of doing that much reading was quite daunting, but it doesn't have, A, it doesn't have to be, you know, you can use Braille as much or as little as you want to, as, assuming that you're lucky enough or you're able to get hold of the equipment, which is a sad, you know, it's a sad fact that, we're, yes, you know, we're in that situation still in 2022. Um you know, you don't have to jump, you don't have to jump in straight away, use it every day. You know, even if before you start programming with it, even maybe just try and start using, if you're not using it regularly in other ways, try things like um, 
let's say you're proofreading something you've written before you send it and you see a spelling mistake or you want to know how there's a you're listening to something and you want to know there's a line and you think oh, I wonder how that word is spelled uh instead instead of you know get going for the screen reader and getting on zeroing in on the word and going character by character you know get the do of the brow display you know even if you're not that comfortable with your brow display yet and you don't want to muck about with cursor routing and stuff just you know have a little pan around and read the entire line you know and just gradually start start building up from from there and if if that if it is something you find kind of stressful at first maybe when you do find a task that works for you with braille just you know remind yourself just say right i'm gonna i'm gonna at least i'm gonna do this that one task that works well for me with my braille every, you know every time and then gradually it'll just start you know before you know it you'll be using it all the time and you'll wonder what you ever stressed about probably sounds good to me um aaron and uh and nick do either of you have anything to add to that what what do you find works well for you i i've either can uh, either can go i I'd, I'd agree with what jen said just just don't don't necessarily try and force it into your don't go right today i'm going to use 100 percent braille because you'll just get frustrated just slowly bring it into your, your workflow so you know quite often if i'm if i'm if i'm re reading some code or, or, or i'll have my i'll have one hand on the keyboard and one hand on my braille display until i find a line that i'm interested in, and then i'll jump my hand off off the keyboard into the braille display and and it's just a case of just slowly integrating it and and as as you know we, we all know what it's like when we're editing documents or emails or, or typing you know proofreading something you know you, you control tabbing sorry you control them you're arrowing around your, your email or your text document um and you're, and you're and you're finding the right place you suddenly realize well actually this would be an awful lot easier if i move my hands three inches down and i use the recursive routing buttons and it's just slowly bring it in into your workflow and then before you know it you'll go oh hang on i'm using a computer that doesn't have a browser display and now i feel a bit lost and and suddenly you'll be oh I didn't realize I was using browse quite as much as i was so don't don't force it would be my advice but yeah i'd i'd I'd, I'd, I'd back what Jen said. That's great. Uh, any, anything to add, Aaron? I think uh, something I would I would add is if you are if you have the ability to do so, try factoring it into things into smaller things, like um, you know when you're when you're using a, a smartphone or whatever, and you're and you're reading a message on on your on your on, on you know you're reading a text message or a WhatsApp message, try using it there just slowly you know slowly start reading things even if you use the speech alongside it just slowly start to consider consider the possibilities that you have at being able to read what read you know read your your read text without having to listen to it um because once you start considering those possibilities and you start to think maybe i could do it here maybe i can use it there and some things you'll find no i can't use it here it doesn't work for me and that's okay it's okay to find a task that doesn't work for you in braille and to say no i'm using speech for that that's fine then move on to something else and and maybe maybe this other thing will work instead and try that and then you might find that actually yes it does yes it does work for me okay i'm gonna use i'm gonna use braille here then 
Now that's some great advice there. Um, last question I have for you for for a moment for the moment, and Aaron, I'll I'll come to you first with this one. Um, I believe both of you said that you use JAWS, but I wanted to really quickly explore um, the screen reader landscape, um, if if we could. So, um, is your I guess I guess in a nutshell. Um, is your choice of screen reader influenced by its Braille support or vice versa, um, Aaron? No, it is not. Uh, the screen reader I use is a screen reader that I use because I don't have a choice. Um, <laughs> you know, that's what that's what the business environment uses. We mostly use Windows, um, but outside of work, I'm primarily a Linux user. Um, Linux and, and Mac OS, uh, you know, both. So, you know, I have experience with, with all of the three, uh, you know, the three, the three operating systems and, and screen readers on them. And I actually much prefer the Linux method of, of doing things with a separate Braille program from the screen reading program. So my, my Braille output is entirely separate from my screen reader, simply because screen readers and, and Braille output software are very complex pieces of software and they can crash. And I would much rather lose one than lose both um so i much prefer the the linux method i'd agree with what aaron said i, I don't think maybe maybe a while back he used to have uh, differences or, or big differences in in the quality of, of braille support within the screen readers i know for instance that supernova at one point we can we go back 20 years maybe used to really pride itself in that it's it's braille output was better than pretty much anything else but but now i don't i don't necessarily think that's the true and it, it it more comes down to what the capabilities of your screen reader are in terms of how well it interacts with software how it gets that information to you braille speech whatever is is almost less important than how well this, this, the screen reader works with the program that you're using. As programmers, we tend not to be just using your bog standard, you know, Chrome, Word, Outlook, you know, you know, that sort of, we tend to be using weird and wonderful tools. And um, because I guess, uh, I guess I, I, in the same way that, that maybe Aaron does, you know, we work for companies who have business to business software that is not, you know, not your normal off the shelf, products and they tend not to be as accessible um as as some of the as some of your, your mainstream products um and so it's actually more important how well your screen reader copes with those unusual environments than it is about how well it supports braille because to be honest pretty much certainly the three screen readers i've used it's all much of a muchness nowadays you know nvda supernova jaws they're all they all support braille in very much very much the same way Another thing I'd like to to add, um, and Nick kind of brought this up, uh, because he said how well your screen reader interacts with with the software that you're using. It's also how how are you, you know, like what limitations are you willing to work around, right? So obviously in my work environment, I don't have much time to, um, you know, write a custom wrapper for an application that makes it accessible to to speech or braille. But in my home environment, I'm, you know, I'm very comfortable with just, oh, this this application doesn't work. Oh, fine. Let me find what library it's using, and I'll just write my own then. 
Yeah, whereas at work, it's more like, well, when do I do it? Do I come in early? Do I leave late? Do I not have lunch? Do I do it over my weekend? And I've done that before because I've had to. Because one of the things that as software engineers we do, we don't just program. We we often get involved with software design. And software design for a sighted person is pretty pictures on a screen. You know, we've got a blob here that represents something some part of your your software and it talks and it's got a line that talks to a different blob over here um and that there's there's something called a universal modeling language uml which is which is the, the the how you describe a diagram like that well now so as a blind program that makes absolutely no sense that that kind of methodology but we we live and we work in sighted with sighted programmers and therefore we don't get the ability to go ah uml doesn't make sense to me so i'm not going to bother we have to we have to learn how to how to do those things. So yeah, we will. Uh, uh, it sounds like you know you're the same as me, guys. That that sometimes that you'll go okay. I'll I'll, I'll take I'll I, I'm working from home. I'll go and spend a couple of hours in the evening when I'm not necessarily trying to do this in front of anyone and I'm trying to figure stuff out. And I'll go and see what I can make tool A or whatever it is that I'm trying to figure out how to do what how it works with my screen reader. And you know you 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 will you find ways to make stuff do stuff, but you because you're because you know we just we just have to work a little bit harder, and that's an accept you know in the end you just have to accept that that's just the way it is. Definitely, definitely, great stuff there. Thank you to the panel for all of that great advice. Um, Ed, you've been doing some uh, computer science research recently, I believe, haven't you? Um, quite conscious of the time here but do you want to give us like the sort of the sort of potted history tldr version of of what you've been doing uh yes so we've been so we, we make as you mentioned earlier the canoe being a multi-line braille display and we've made that for a few years it's got nine lines of four cells um what we're doing with this new with the pilots we're running is we've created some uh experimental hardware that goes with the canoe it adds a high contrast monitor for people who have low vision or for co-working. Uh, and it also adds a keyboard to the canoe and a Debian Linux um, computer, which runs off a piece of software called BRLTTY, which is a, a, a screen, which is a, a Braille driver for Linux and is the only one at the moment which supports multi-line Braille. So what we're, what we're, we're doing here is we're trying to make an, an environment which you've heard how Braille is very useful for programming in its current form. Well, we're trying to experiment how to make, how to make it uh, even more useful into some other fields. So Nick was mentioning earlier about um, diagrams being used a lot. We are doing some experiments with, for example, setting up different diagrams on this multi-line Braille display so you can see spatially in braille what a sighted person would see as a diagram we're doing some sort of experiments with uh programming of uh, some simple video games on the device and then seeing if that if if as a braille reader you can then try that out in braille and the same get the same output in the same spatial output as you do as a sighted reader uh, so that's called the Knute console and we're doing some trials at the moment that's all funded by the ufi um, that's all part of the same thing as as these masterclasses. Uh, but you can uh, email charlie.harding at bristolbraille.org or you can get in contact with us by uh, on by telephone, which is 0117-325-3022. Uh, or you can just keep coming to these masterclasses. And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll mention it when we come around to the later ones. 
Um, but yeah, we're, we're just really looking at expanding some of the ways that Braille can be even more useful for other aspects of being a programmer. Thanks for that, Ed. And uh, we've got many hands. So we're going to come to Dan uh, for the first audience question. And then we're going to come to someone who's dialed in on the phone, phone number ending in 596. Uh, but Dan, you are now unmuted. Okay, so I am curious about how you guys deal with debuggers and such. Because I'm into you know, working on the PC and whatnot. So things like Python and uh, Java and C-sharp, they have these integrated development environments and they have these nice little debuggers put in there. And I'm wondering, one, how do you kind of work with these? And do you find Braille to be easier in that environment or speech? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm happy to. See, we have, when when we're doing, we have, um, we have what's called a test lab where we run a bunch of a bunch of projects that we're working on and most of these are are, are python projects and 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 projects written in c sharp some of them are based in unity um which is not the most accessible of environments anyway um so the way i handle i handle debuggers is most of the time i just i step through i have uh you know i use visual studio code most of the time and visual studio and that allows you to step through code as you run it and you can pause at any point to examine what your your variables are. And I find that that is mostly accessible. So that tends to be what I use. Um, when that's not available, there are external debuggers that you can plug into to ports to read memory addresses if you really need to. Um, I've done that once or twice. I don't particularly enjoy it, but it can be done. Yeah, I'd agree. So um, Visual Studio is the development environment I use. So this is, um, if you think of Microsoft Office is your Outlook or your, your Word, Visual Studio is basically the programmer's uh, version of Office. It's it's a Microsoft tool. And for, for Windows development, it is it's by far the most used uh, development environment I, I, that I've ever come across anyway. And actually, Jaws, uh, Freedom Scientific, have made it. Uh, have worked quite hard on making it making it accessible. Um, uh, Microsoft themselves have made it accessible. So actually, debugging with Visual Studio uh, isn't is is actually pretty easy. You know, you you have you know uh, the the keys. I think it's F nine, F ten, F eleven that that allow you to step over code, step through, step into code. And and so I tend to have, for me, I tend to have my 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 right hand on my my. Uh, F10, F11 keys, and my right, and my left hand on my my braille display, and so so as I'm as I'm stepping through the code, as as I'm hitting, you know, next command, next command, next command. That's how I tend to how I I, I do it. I have used other debuggers. Um, there's there's one there's one in uh, Linux called uh, GDB. Um, that was less easy from what I remember, but but again, you 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 kind of find ways. You 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 fight these things long enough to figure out how to get it working in the end. But if you have access to Visual Studio, it it, it is a great tool um, for a programmer. Uh, there's, there's, it 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 is a very very good tool. And uh, just count yourself lucky that you don't ever have to try and debug anything on a set top box because that is a whole other world of fun. Oh, I can I have stories. Don't. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, mheg, um, no, no print statements, no serial output. So you just have to uh, you just have to draw a little squiggle on the screen to figure out where things are, and that's uh, where my uh, my opticon comes in. Anyway, holding stuff in memory is uh, is all I'll say. 
Oh right, yeah, yeah. What what wait wait until you wait until you try and try and debug something on a secured military vehicle where you actually have to crawl in past a gun. Hey, <laughs> this this is turning into a my debugging story is bigger better than yours, isn't it? It's all it's all very interesting. A- absolutely. And, and 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 you just find ways to make stuff work. That, that's that's the yeah. I think most of us have been, uh, I guess you would, would you say you're quite a persistent person? You don't like letting things beat you? Because that's, that's certainly how I am. I don't like finding something I can't do. No, no, agreed. I'm, I'm very much like that. My boss has said to me multiple times, will you just let someone else do it? And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, no. That's not the point, is it? <laughs> I will find a way of drawing this pretty diagram. <laughs> Well, I hope that was useful, Dan. I'm going to try and squeeze a couple more in. Uh, so phone number ending in 596 now. And after 596, we're going to come to Alicia. Uh, 596, I've just asked you to unmute. I'll just give you a moment or so to do that. And you're now unmuted. Thank you. This is Michael. For uh, a quick question. For those of you who are using you know, multiple sized Braille displays, what are the advantages and disadvantages of working like with an 80 versus a 40 and stuff like that? What are what what do you find useful about coding on different sized braille displays? I guess it's it's for me it's simply you can get more you can get more data on the display without having to scroll it. So you can you could be looking at one end of the line with your right hand and one end of the line with your left hand and you can get the whole line of code in. Um I I've always worked with bigger displays. I don't think I've ever coded on a little one. But again, you 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 can probably try and make it work. But just yeah, for me, for me, the more data you can get on without having to push buttons or scroll displays, the easier life becomes. Yeah, I think I, I mostly agree with that. Um, obviously, the the bigger the display, the less portable it is. So you need to you know if you're going for an eighty cell display to fit that most. Uh, as much data as possible, you need to consider the the transport requirements that you have for that display. Like, do you need to do you need to move it back and forwards every day? Um, are you going to client sites? Are you going into confined spaces where you might not be able to fit all the equipment that you that you need um, to use that display effectively? So then, obviously, you consider forty cell and twenty cell displays, but then obviously they come with they come with constraints too. Definitely, definitely. Um, hope that was useful, Mike. Uh, Going to come to Alicia next. And after Alicia, probably the last uh, question that we're going to have time for uh, will be uh, the one and only James Bowden. Uh, Alicia, you are now unmuted. Hi, everyone. I just want to ask um, Braille's plays, are they going to be for free if we have to borrow them as equipment? So I, I guess this is going to depend on on um, what uh, kind of situation you're in. So I'll, I'll just I'll just take this one quickly, if that's all right. So um, you you will probably be eligible in the UK for something called access to work, depending on your uh, exact uh, working arrangements, and that will fund uh, that will partially fund some equipment for you. Um, I know many people use that to get a braille display. Um, and that that's that's uh, one way that that you could that you could obtain a braille display if you're using uh, if you're using one at work. Uh, hope that answers your question, Alicia. Sorry uh, to sort of chivvy you along a little bit there. Um, Going to come to uh, James Bowden 
quickly. And then I've just got one last question for the panel. Then I'll hand over to Dave to wrap things up. Uh, James, you're good to go. Thank you. It wasn't a question, but an observation. When you're asking the question, what works really well for Braille and what works better for speech? I was thinking in my time as a programmer, what did I use Braille for? What did I really like it for? And the answer I came up with is those horrible long lines. Now, I'm sure you guys know as programmers, if open bracket, open bracket, A less than, less than two, close bracket, equals, equals, B open square bracket, blah, 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 and 25,000 characters later, you've come a syntax error. Braille was so, so helpful to actually make sure you could read all those really interesting, spurious, curious characters accurately and at the speed that you could actually understand them. If you had a speech synthesizer just rabbiting on at 300,000 words a minute, as we normally do, you'd likely miss one or miscount one. As for speech, I would tend to use speech more when I was reading those wonderful documentation pages. So again, I'd have one hand on the Braille display, one hand on the keyboard and your earphones in and you're listening. And you can just let the speech do all the nice little words like the and so on. You just read the important words like, I don't know, get private profile, da, 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 dot something or other. And you, oh, yeah, that's how you spell it then. OK, so that's that was just what I was going to say. No, great observation. Thanks for that. All right, really quickly, one last one for the panel. I'm going to put you both on the spot here and uh, let's go uh, with Nick uh, first off this time. Let's say you had an unlimited amount of R&D budget. You're a screen reader manufacturer. You've got a decent amount of R&D budget. What advancement would you, well, screen reader slash assistive technology manufacturer, what advancement would you like to see with Braille or speech or a combination of the two that would have the greatest uh, impact on your ability to do your job better? <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's a question and a half. Um, I actually actually think what Canute are doing is, is, is really interesting. So the idea of multi-line Braille, where you'd maybe be able to look at a block of code rather than just a line of code, I think might be interesting. There's there's some interesting challenges, I think, within that in terms of speed of updates, um, which I know. Um, but then also things like, I wonder how you could do cursor routing. So so I guess most of you will have used other space where, where you have the idea that you go to a particular character and then you've got a button just above that cell and you can push it and your mouse cursor or your, your, your blinking cursor jumps to that point. How does that work on a brow on a on a multi-line brow display? Because that's actually a really useful capability within brow displays. Now, you know, you could do something clever like I'll actually push the cell down. We'll make the cell movable. This, you know, we're talking science fiction here because because these things become very complicated very quickly. And that's suddenly because you know, so yeah, I think multi-line braille would be would be a really interesting um way forward. Um it's hard to imagine what else the screen reader companies could do because effectively most, so, so many different environments and different challenges that you work in that, you know, the, the idea would be that you'd never run into a, a piece of software that is inaccessible, but that's just never going to happen because, because, you know, we, we live in the real world, you know, in that sense. So I don't know, that, does that answer your question there? Ben. No, 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 no. I think, I think, I think you're right. I think multi-line is 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 very, very interesting. Um, Aaron, do you do you have a do you have a, like a, a wish list? 
for, for what you'd like? So I do. Um, and it mostly comes from the problem of my biggest issue when it comes to using Braille is the actual connecting things, right? You know, sometimes you're using Bluetooth, sometimes you're using USB, you won't have the drives installed. Oh, you're not an admin user, so you can't install the drivers. So then you've got to call Global IT and you're sat on hold for 45 minutes trying to, you know, just, just actually start your work because something isn't installed right. So my answer to this, um, you know, I've been seeing a lot of talk lately around devices like the Braille Sense 6 and uh, the Braille Note Touch, which are Android-powered um you know android powered um braille devices right and then obviously i heard about the the one that vispero has worked on the l braille i thought wouldn't this be great if we had something like this that was powered by linux um because linux is you know it's one of the best development environments that there is it's very extensible it's very uh customizable to the individual user's needs and to not have to worry about, oh, is, is the Braille display going to come on? Have I charged this? Is the, is the drivers installed for this? To just be able to turn it on and, and go would be would be amazing. Um, you know, in a in a in a fantasy world, that would also come with uh, come with a full QWERTY keyboard and and all the you know all the all the things that 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 brings too. Um, and I think that would be that would be my my ideal like development system. Well, AT manufacturers, take note. There you are. We've uh, we've done the research for you. That's what you need to go out and build. Sounds perfect to me. Thank you ever so much, uh, panel, and obviously thank you to Jen as well, who uh, had to drop off at uh, well around about twenty or so minutes ago now. Uh, so it leaves me uh, nothing left to do than to hand over to Dave to wrap the session up. Do you know, I think there was uh, a Linux-powered Braille note-taker called the Elba uh, some years ago, and I think it was German. I wonder what happened to that. I have heard about it. Yeah, Tiemann, I think, did it. Uh, from, I, 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 never, I never got a hands on it, but I, I did hear that it was like a tank. It was made out of like solid blocks of aluminium. Sounds perfect for my, uh, for my environment. I had a demonstration from a very enthusiastic German man, uh, but I didn't really understand most of what he told me because he was talking in Linux. Um, but it did exist, and uh, it felt great. You know, as a as a Braille guy, you know, it felt really solid. And uh, yeah, I wonder what became of that. Anyway, thank you so much, everybody, for uh, putting this session together. We really very much appreciate it. Some fascinating topics, and I'm sure that discussion will continue. But until then, from myself and the rest of the Braillist Foundation team, bye for now. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Braillecast, the official podcast of the Braillists Foundation. You can find more Braille-related content by subscribing to Braillecast, all one word, in your podcast client of choice or listening to Brailcast, connecting the dots for Brailists everywhere on your smart speaker. You can also find past episodes on our website at brailcast.com. If you have comments on the podcast or suggestions of topics or guests for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Please email help at brailists.org. You can also find the Brailists on Twitter at Brailists or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Foundation. Finally, if you like what you've heard, spread the word. New listeners are always welcome. So if you know other people who are interested in Braille, please tell them where to find us. In the meantime, on behalf of everyone at the Braillists, thanks for listening and bye for now. Bye.